0: Uh, In the Dutch tradition, of which some of you are former adherents, uh, they would sometimes have what are uh, called the Heidelberg, uh, Lord's Day, whatever number, uh, sermon, or Canons of Dort, or uh, sometimes Belgic Confession, and uh, they would sometimes be lectures in the evening. I never quite liked them. Uh, when I heard them, too theological, too lecture-like, people falling asleep and all the rest. So I'm going to do that tonight, a uh, <laughs> uh, topical sermon on union with Christ. And uh, I did choose what should be the most exciting of doctrines to uh, teach on in the hope that you will stay with me. So uh, we're going to be looking at the five points of union with Christ um, and if you want to, you may turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. It's just two words that I'm really focusing in on. Uh, Jorge got excited about the third heaven, and I'm going to just delay that. Since Paul didn't really know what was going on in the third heaven, I definitely don't know what's going on in the third heaven. Uh, but I do know a little bit about the words in Christ. So we're going to look at uh, that topic tonight. The Apostle Paul's writing, I know a man, speaking of himself, in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and we look forward to mining the treasures of your word, to learning, or not just learning, but being reaffirmed in what we do know and encouraged and hearty, heartily Uh, blessed because you teach us so much that is for our good. Please may it be that we uh, hear and understand well. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, on every Christian spiritual journey, there are certain times in your life where you uh, learn a new doctrine and get very excited about it. At least I hope that has been the case with you. When I first became a Christian, it was the doctrine uh, that I'd always believed, but it became very real to me, of God's sovereignty, where He works all things together for my good, now that I loved Him. And I was so excited about God's sovereignty. Uh, uh, a little bit down the line, I learned about the doctrine of justification by faith reading a sermon uh, preached by George Whitfield on the Lord, our righteousness, I think from Jeremiah chapter 23. I don't know if it was verse 5 or whatever, but I remember that sermon hit me about how Christ is our righteousness and the slow learning process of learning that uh, when I became a Christian, uh, I actually not only had my sins forgiven, but a righteousness credited to me, imputed to me. And you you learn this word and this phrase and you get really excited about Uh, the Lord being your righteousness, and what that means. As a few more years went on, I started to learn about the doctrine of union with Christ. And as I learned the doctrine of union with Christ, it's as though light started coming on in my Bible. I started reading the Bible and seeing it everywhere, but until I'd been taught the doctrine, I, I didn't really see it. I would have, of course, not denied it, but it wasn't something whereby... I would see it everywhere. And once it was taught to me, I said, wow, it's here, it's there, it's everywhere. It's really important. Now, a little bit of theology at the beginning and then a a little bit of theology in the middle and a little bit of theology at the end. Um, But in the beginning, uh, there is what we call a union with Christ that is uh, predestinarian. So Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 1. He actually gives us the three types of union that I'm going to speak about, but emphasize the last one. The first is when he says that the Father in Ephesians 1-4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. With all of the excitement of becoming a Reformed Presbyterian and predestination not being a, a bad word, but a word to glory in, I would often I think, miss how important those words are. He chose us in Christ. Before the foundation of the world, before I had an existence, there was a time when there was no time. And there was in God's vast omniscience a choice that He made of myself and of yourself. But that choice was not some abstract choice. It was a choice to place us in union with Christ before the foundation of the world. In Him He chose us. But then there's another union that took place, that when Jesus Christ came into the world, and when He died on the cross, and when He rose again from the dead, we were united to Him in His death and resurrection. So we read earlier from Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. Now, Paul's talking about our current Christian experience, but he says, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And so, there was a sense in which when Christ died... I died with Him. When Christ was raised, I was raised with Him, even though I hadn't yet been born. This is what we call a redemptive historical union with Christ. But The union with Christ we're going to focus in on tonight is what we call uh, existential or mystical union, or the union of application. And that's the union you possess in terms of your life, your existence, when you breathe And when you believe, there is a union with Christ that by far the scriptures have in mind when they speak of this. Now, five points to help you basically understand this doctrine, and I want you at least to walk out of here either learning something new or appreciating something more that is everywhere in God's Word. Now, union with Christ is a very big deal for God. What do I mean by that? It means that God is reconciling the world to Himself. He is reconciling sinners to Himself. And there is one way He is going to do this. It is the way He began in eternity. It is the way He continues in time. He reconciles the world to Himself in Christ. And our old theologians, whether John Calvin, and you can read book three of his Institutes, book one focuses on God the Father, book two on the work of the Son, but after he's finished book two on the work of the Son, he gets to book three, which is the work of the Spirit, and says everything that Christ did in terms of suffering for the human race is of no value to us so long as we remain outside of Him. Christ's death, His resurrection, His work, everything He's done is of no value to us as long as we are outside of Him. And those who are outside of Him are those who do not believe in Him. You are outside of Christ. Faith is what brings you into union with Christ. It is a big deal for God. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you have your Bibles, you're going to need them tonight. They're going to get a good workout. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll understand why John Owen said that union with Christ is the greatest, most honorable, and glorious of all graces. Thomas Goodwin said it is the fundamental constitution of a Christian, union with Christ. So just consider, Paul is talking about reconciliation. He's talking about justification. He's talking about how God is going to save us. But notice from verse 17 onwards. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to Himself. In verse 21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You take away those words in Christ or in him from that section in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and everything else that is said there is of absolutely no value to anyone sitting here. Everything depends on those words in him or in Christ. God reconciles the world to himself in Christ. And so it is faith that completes mystical union. Union is a big deal to God. It is how He reconciles the world to Himself. But faith is what completes the mystical union. Now, who begins the union? Christ actually unites Himself to us. Usually in the preaching of the Word, as it goes out, Christ works a secret work in the sinner's heart that the sinner is very often unaware of. But that secret work must lead to an act of faith. That secret work where the habits of faith is given to a sinner must lead to the sinner having an act of faith. And it is interesting that when we do marriage vows, there's a certain order whose vows typically are read first. Usually the man says his vows and then the lady, and sometimes it switches, and I don't know why people do things the way they do. I'm quite insistent upon uh, classical vows myself for various reasons but in the scriptures it is actually the case that the husband Christ is saying his vows first in the marriage union he is the one who says to the father I will take the bride to myself I will be the one who initiates the process and it is the bride, us, the church, who responds to that union and completes that union by an act of faith in Jesus Christ. There is a certain order. And I think that is a good order. And the marriage union is one of the greatest uh, ways in which we can understand what is so crucial about union with Christ. You'll remember those words we just read from Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. Everything that is ours becomes Christ's, and everything that is Christ's becomes ours. I was speaking to some people after the service in Surrey today about how hard it must be for someone who's a Christian who's very wealthy, and let's say he's a single man, he's extremely wealthy, to actually find true love. Someone who loves him because they love him rather than what he possesses. And then I uh, made a little quip that clearly my wife just loved me because I had nothing. <laughs> I had basically an unfinished degree, a little bit of charm, and I could kick a soccer ball. Other than that, there was nothing else going for me. No money, no nothing. Barb had a car, a loud car at university. We could hear her coming a mile away with her muffler And I'm told she had this muffler actually put on. It wasn't because it was an old car, but it was one of these red sports cars, something you don't know about my wife. She drove a red sports car. And I really liked Barb because she had a car at university where most people at this university didn't have a car. And I used to borrow the car. And I hated walking. I hated everything about walking from my house to school. And I would just use her car and drive it around. And when we got married, she had a car and I didn't. She had money and I didn't. Everything she had became mine, and what I didn't have became hers. I'm smarter than some of you give me credit for. And some of you can understand this in your own relationships. In the case of the gospel, whatever we have becomes Christ's. He made Him who knew no sin. What can we offer except our sins? To be sin for us. So that in Him, in union with Christ, we might become what? The righteousness of God. What can He offer us? His righteousness. It is the great exchange based upon the marital union. We give Christ our sins. He gives us His righteousness. There is no greater mismatch than that of Christ and the church. You might look at some of the young couples here and go, Wow, how did he get that lovely wife? You know, here's Daniel sitting there with Hannah and uh, a few others maybe around. We won't single them out unnecessarily, but that was necessary. And say, Wow, how did that happen? But when you consider Christ in the church, that's where you can truly say, how is that possible? It makes no sense. But that's the nature of the Gospel. And 50 times at least, there is the language of believing into Christ. Believing in Christ. It starts in John's Gospel, which we've been considering early on in John chapter 2, verse 11. This, the first of His signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. All those years later, Christ is in the upper room with His disciples and what does He say in chapter 14? Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In Galatians, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith, In Christ, not by works of the law. Paul has to say this over and over and over again. We have to believe into Christ. And when you believe into Christ, what does that mean? It means that you have to get out of yourself. You have to, as it were, jump out of your skin, so to speak, because of who you are. You have to get out of yourself and into someone else. And that someone else is Christ therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh when we are united to Christ we become one mystically with him by faith and this is a daily exercise it happens once and as soon as it truly happens once you are as good as united with Christ forever but it is a daily exercise of believing in him putting our faith in him and so Continuing in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Why? Because I've jumped out of myself into Christ. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. In the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. My life, The life I live by faith is in someone else other than myself. It is in the Son of God. So union with Christ is a big deal to God and faith completes that union with Christ. He begins a work of a thousand operations in our souls that we're unaware of according to Thomas Goodwin. But eventually that will lead to us exercising faith in Him. But it's also because it's a spiritual union, an unbreakable union. Paul says in 1 Corinthians six, verse seventeen: "But he who is joined to the Lord—that's union with Christ—becomes one spirit with him." There is a merging together of union, so that in other places we're told Christ dwells in our heart by faith, Ephesians three seventeen. Alexander White, when he's speaking of Thomas Goodwin's sermon on three, Ephesians 3.17, said it is one of the two greatest sermons ever written in the English language. Ephesians 3.17, Thomas Goodwin. Google is your friend. And Christ dwells in your heart by faith. In Romans 8.9, we're told Christ is in you. Or Galatians 2.20, as we said earlier, Christ lives in me. We are in Christ but because we are in Christ, Christ is in us. And that union is unbreakable. In fact, when you die, when you die, you are in such close union with Jesus Christ that though your soul goes to be with the Lord, your body still mystically remains united to Jesus Christ. Those bones in the grave, that rotting corpse, that dust, if it is that, still is mystically united to Jesus Christ. And it will be that matter, whatever is left of it, that will be refashioned into a glorious body because Christ will perform His promise. It's a remarkable thing to think about the fact that in graves all over the world, Those who believed in Jesus Christ, those bodies and whatever's remaining left of them are still united to Jesus Christ because He will make good on His promise to refashion that dead, decayed body into His image. It's also an unbreakable union because God hates divorce. People often wonder, well, Heaven is forever, right? Eternity. And that is true. But the question is, why is heaven forever? And the answer is very simple. The same God who says, I hate divorce, is the God who has joined Himself to each and every one of us who exercise faith in Jesus Christ. And so, God would have to excommunicate Jesus Christ Himself from heaven before He kicked any one of us out. We are married to Him. And God hates divorce. God would have to sin for us to not be in heaven once we're united to Christ. That's how important union with Christ is. But you're also united to a person. Thomas Goodwin has this illustration of two great giants with huge belts on them. And these huge giants are the only two people that actually exist in the world But with these two giants and these belts around, they have all these buckles. And on every buckle is every human being. You are either on the belt that belongs to Adam and the condemnation that comes with Adam, or you're on the belt that belongs to Christ and the life that comes with Christ. And there are only two human beings. There's Adam and there is Christ. And you're on either one of their belts belonging to them. And that's the reality of our existence. Who are we? We are those united to Jesus Christ. And our honor, therefore, is our identity. I am with Him. There's uh, a lot of illustrations that you could perhaps think about, but... I don't know, have you ever been proud to be in the presence of someone where you're their friend and they're a person of distinction and they say, and people are all fawning over someone and then uh, you're like, yeah, that's I'm with them and you go walking off or something like that. Maybe you've never met anyone who has any esteem and you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I'm sure you understand something of what it is like. I can't imagine what your story might be, but I've had a few And uh, some of you well know when it happened to me that I was basically placed in the corner of a restaurant and left on my own until they realized who I was with. And then I was ushered into this private room with all sorts of nice things and they didn't realize who I was with. And I was infuriated because my own pride was like, how dare they uh, place me in a corner. It's a dirty dancing uh, moment. Uh, For those of you who remember baby in the corner, right? Well, I was so upset because I'd been placed in a corner. But when you are united to Jesus Christ, it's so much different than anything you can conceive of in this world because you are actually identified with the Lord of glory. Now, one final point. One final point. This union is also extensive. Extensive. We are united to Jesus Christ in His humiliation and His exaltation. And when you join with Christ, you are actually joining with Christ. And you are marrying Christ. And His issues become your issues. And this is quite interesting because His past life becomes your present life. And His present life becomes your future life. Now let me say that again it is the evening service his past life becomes your present life his present life becomes your future life when jesus christ came into this world there was a certain life he was given by his father and when you join with christ you join into that reality paul will say in second corinthians chapter 4 verse 10 and 11 We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So when you unite yourself to Jesus Christ by faith, you carry in your body the death of Jesus. You carry in your body the suffering of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Do you see what that means? It means if you unite yourself to Jesus Christ, you're going to join in something that happened to Him on earth, and that is suffering. That's a hard pill to swallow. And you're going to unite yourself to all the various types of sufferings that Christ endured. What were the types of sufferings that Christ endured? you can go through the Scriptures and you can find that his own family rejected him. There are few things more painful in the world than your own family rejecting you because of your Christian faith. He was mocked. He knew what it was to go hungry. He knew what it was to say, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. He was falsely accused. One of the worst things that can happen to a human being is a false accusation where you have developed a reputation perhaps in your field and false accusations come and it can tarnish your reputation because people are so quickly led to believe a false report. That happened to Christ in a way that none of us can possibly conceive because there was actually never an accusation that could have any merits to him concerning Christ. You think of the painful sufferings he went through. He went through physical sufferings, emotional sufferings, mental sufferings. He was rejected. He went through every conceivable type of suffering, which means that when you unite yourself to Him, you are going to carry around in your body His death in order that His life may also be manifested in your life. In Philippians 3, Paul says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul is talking about his sufferings, but the reality of his sufferings is that he may gain Christ and be found in Him. There you go again. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about the fact that when he gains Christ, he gains sufferings for Christ, but he also gains resurrection life in Christ. And you know what's interesting to me? What happens in Philippians 2? Where is Christ at the beginning of Philippians 2 in the Christ hymn from verses 5 to 11? Christ is here who being in very nature God did not consider equality of God something to be exploited or grasped or held on to at all costs but made Himself Nothing, taking the form of a servant and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself to death, yes, even death on the cross. But then you see, God exalts him and gives him the name that is above every name. You see, there's Christ Jesus in his glory, but then in his sufferings and back in his glory. What does Paul do in Philippians chapter 3? He boasts of his glory, Pharisee of Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin. Regarding the law, perfect righteousness outwardly at least. But then he finds Christ and what happens? He considers all things rubbish. He goes and joins in his sufferings and there's this humiliation for Paul. But then by the end he goes that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what union with Christ means. It means that there is a relinquishing of yourself as you join Christ. And you join Christ in all that belongs to Christ. That is His sufferings and His glory. But you cannot have one without the other. If you have His sufferings, you will have His glory. If you have His glory, you will have His sufferings. So just one point then by way of conclusion. You have now what I hope is a very helpful tool for going to the Scriptures. We've gone to Philippians, we've gone to 2 Corinthians, we've gone to John, we've gone to 1 Corinthians, we've gone to Romans. And everywhere you look, everywhere you look, you're going to find that God is concerned to drive home to every Christian, every child of God, that everything important about you, everything significant about you, everything that gives you hope, everything that gives you joy is based upon two words, in him. Paul knows a man that in Christ, and after that, everything else about your life has significance. Everything about your life has value. You walk out of those doors tonight in Christ, and you are the most secure, blessed person in the world. You have hope unspeakable joy unspeakable you have a union that can never be broken because god will be faithful to his marital promise that he hates divorce you have everything if you are in christ but if you are outside of christ you have nothing i'll just close with this one point below that point there's a brazilian family they came to our church a while ago and then they stopped coming but now they've come back lovely family, and they talked to me about becoming members. I says, actually, we're full. <laughs> uh, no more. But then I saw Scott out of the corner of my eye, and my eyes lit up. I says, there's the man you need to speak to. And uh, I hope they will speak to you, Scott. And they brought their older son to church today. And uh, he said to me, I notice that you uh, don't always sort of Preach like evangelistic sermon every sermon. You always preach Christ and the gospel, but you don't always zero in and really drive it home. And he was so thankful because his son came today. But he says you really drove home a message that he needed to hear. And I said, yeah. And he he wasn't criticizing me. Don't worry, everyone. I, my feelings weren't hurt. Uh, not that some of you would care, but uh, he was fine. I say,s you know, there are times when I preach the gospel and it's more to uh, bless the faithful, to encourage the faithful. There are going to be times, though, where I am going to be direct and I'm going to say to people on occasion, you need to make sure you believe. You need to make sure that you repent. You need to make sure that you turn. If I say that every single week, I do not believe it's going to carry the same effect. But I said it this morning and I'm going to say it again tonight. You must believe in Christ. The world is going to try and get you to believe in everything and anything else. But you must believe in Christ. You must be united to Him. And you must walk out of here tonight saying the most important thing about who I am is not my intelligence, not my good looks, not my wealth, not my family, not my friends, but that I belong to Jesus Christ, that I am in Him now and forevermore. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the reality of union with Christ. There is nothing important about us other than that fact. But if that fact is true, everything about us is important. Everything about what we think, everything about what we do, everything about where we are going is important because we are doing so in union with the Savior we pray, Lord, that we will see the importance of this and live our lives with that reality at the forefront of our eyes each day as we believe in his name. Amen.